your spine being cracked <laughs> this is we need actually, to do fully fully work better this is just an asmr show now <laughs> well we could I do some to make foley a cracking sound in my head and i you made it so much better sound than i was about to make so, <laughs> i was gonna be like <laughs> it was not gonna so work me or gabe <laughs> yeah matt yes, yes. Of course, yeah matt's was good wait what, well, you do, what kind you, of art fully art fully fully art i don't know what that is that's, that's like, like when people make like like footsteps in like a weird room in like Hollywood that's full of like garbage and they're like making sounds for the Hobbit movie. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Paul gave the most bad, niche, <laughs> bad, bad explanation I've ever heard. <laughs> it's just people who make sound. It, they used to be. It must. It was a much more highly valued skill, I believe, in the old radio days, which obviously podcasts have been described as just a reinvention of. So uh, yeah, they would make like sound effects for stuff and. Oh okay. I, so so you, I, okay. You guys just, are you? I feel like you're just talking about music concrete. No, that's that's. We're talking about stomp, actually. I, I do know what that is, so I can't claim to be less hipster than you. But yes, it's it's really like if I'm like, oh, and then the bones broke, and then I had a bunch of uh, uh, celery that I like snapped, I got you. you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Like the what you're saying, like with radio plays and whatnot. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Be cool. It'd be it would be much more old school than a soundboard, which. I feel like would also be dope to have, but we got to figure out how to make that work. We the evolution beyond just Zoom feeding through uh, clean feed is a uh, is slow to happen. Listen, if Rome you, wasn't built in a day. Well, I, you also need fucking audio. Anyway, if you want those things, <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/spinecrackers. You could support right. the show. For as little as two bones a month, if you want the full episodes, bonus videos, access to the Discord, and you want to fund our getting better audio or just more, yeah, more varied our, audio. Our equipment. Foley Studios, our yeah. own render unto Caesar. That's right. Why don't you? Um, and, yeah. So this, this is Spinecrack. That's that's right. <laughs> Maybe you wandered into these parts a little unawares, <laughs> but this is Spinecrackers. And there's and only room for th- room enough for three of us in this town. It's a three-horse town. Unless we have a guest, which we Unless love. there's a guest, unless we invite... Four-horse town. Warmly invite someone else. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the hosts of the Spinecrackers podcast. My name is Matt. Likewise. My name is Paul. I'm one of the hosts of the Spinecrackers podcast. And uh, what are we talking about today, boys? Paul's pick. So My pick. We're talking about Like Life by Lori Moore. I picked it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So uh, this is, when did this come out? Uh, 90? No. It, no. No, no, no. My think, first copyright is 88, I thought. Well, that some of the stories are from the 80s, but this collection oh, I think, okay, came yeah. out in 1990. Um, mm-hmm. So 
as you as the astute listener will gather, this is a collection of short stories yeah. by, uh, <laughs> by American author Lori Moore. Uh, kind of what I yeah, go ahead, man. I would say that that's basically what she's that's what she's known for predominantly, yeah. right? She's got novels. She has a couple but novels. Think, yeah, she's got like three novels, and I think she's got like seven or eight collections of short stories. Mm-hmm. Right. And she wrote a bunch. She would write short stories for the New York Times in the in the paper. New Yorker, probably, maybe the New Yorker Times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Basically, I mean, who fucking cares? Yeah. yeah. The New Yorker Times Magazine. New Roman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It seemed like she could bust out short stories a lot quicker. Like she wrote her last novel, and it took her like ten years. Mm. So. So it makes more. me want to read it really badly. Actually. Yeah, I actually do. Well, yeah, it would be cool to read one of her novels. But uh, today we're talking about this short story collection. Um, now, I, I had never heard of more. Seems kind of like a had had anyone heard of her before this at, at all? Or I don't think anyone had read any of her work. I, no, I had I had known about her for a long time, and it's one of those like shame, <laughs> like shamefacedly. I don't know why someone. It was, like, way back in, like, I don't know, not way back, but, like, I think in college, someone said that they were, she was basically their their favorite writer, and that uh, Birds of America was their favorite book. Which is uh, one of her other collections, right? That's not one of the novels? No, I think that's another short story collection. Yeah, right. So, yeah, since since around then, I've, I've sort of, she's just been a name in my head, but, yeah, I don't know why the fuck I never picked up a collection, I guess... Sexism. Misogynist, yeah. Yeah, easy, yeah. Easy, easy answer. Easy answer right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally easy. Well, you know, not not to, to spoilers for the episode, but I am very glad that we finally did. Dude. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, it's not, spo- I mean, spoilers, yeah. Yeah, spoilers, this spoilers. book fucking slaps at really hard. It's a slapper. <laughs> I keep yeah. wanting to say slaps ass. And that's like, <laughs> Sexism. That's like, it's like the third time I've said it tonight for some reason. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it forms a coherent phrase. Yeah, yeah. It slaps, <laughs> it does, kind period. Of. Uh, uh-huh, well, that's sexist. Well, so, whatever. <laughs> it's, we all, it's, we live in a society. Uh, so, Paul, why, why, what made you pick this book then? Like, given that you had never heard of her, hadn't read her work? Um, it, was, it was kind of like a stumble upon pick again, yet again for me. Like, I was just looking up. I actually found it on a list of like the top 100 American writers and she was like pretty low down on the list. Mm. Um, but I just like, I, I wanted the to interesting push part of the list. What? Oh, That's the always the part? interesting yeah. part. Yeah. We get it. Um, Melville Faulkner. Bleh. The great Gatsby. <laughs> great writer Gatsby. I get it. <laughs> Um, but I just, I mean, I wanted to make an effort to pick more female writers this year. And this was before the Discord called us out on that. So I just <laughs> wanted to throw it out there. <laughs> I made this choice before before that. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, basically just read a little snippet about what the book was about. And I was like, yeah, fucking go ahead and pick it. It was in the it was in the page range and everything. Hell yeah. Yeah. Boom. So is this our... This is a, what our second short story collection. We did the episode on Capote. Was there another one? Soul of Wood. Soul I of Wood. So. Yeah, that book sucked. Sadly. Yeah. Uh, I the one difficulty I have with the reviewing the short stories like on the show is it's, just that it becomes a little bit of a a muddle. Like uh, 
and I and 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 I I don't like that because like I I feel like especially when they're good, a short story, every short story is like not that they don't comprise a whole work and they're in a collection for a reason, but like every single one is like a a very like crystalline kind of perfect structure that you want to do justice to that way. And I and I I do. Well, this is why we have the Patreon section of the podcast. And we oh can, yeah, we can extend it as long as we want. <laughs> in my recollection, <laughs> the muddle just gets worse as the, yeah, but whatever. <laughs> That's what the people want, though. True, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do think you know. I, yeah, it's a it's a difficult thing to talk about a short story collection as a whole for yeah for a lot of those reasons you said, Matt. Like, a you you we we probably could talk about almost every story in here for half hour 45 minutes on its own if if right. not if not longer and that that would be a five hour episode but also because it's you know it's not like a novel where you have a couple characters and a, and like one narrative and you so you have to kind of like dig a little bit harder for like you said they're in a collection for a reason but you have to dig around a little bit for what that reason is exactly if that makes sense like what that through line is what the whether it's thematically or whatever stylistically yeah i do think with this collection though to me like they as a collection they seem to to gel pretty well as opposed to the last collections we've read especially the capote collection this one i could like feel the themes throughout it i think one of the first things i noticed that was super strong was like a, a tonal consistency that was not at all tiring because the tone itself was this completely mesmerizing like admixture of like every emotion it felt like <laughs> essentially mm-hmm. uh which and which is why um i don't know yeah like i know we were talking about this off the show or whatever but like i was moved by a lot of these and like um that has uh, for me often that that's like a uh tends to be the product of of like the kind of tragic comic nature of life and and whatever like uh, and and that's something that more did like super well in this like and i, I feel like that's kind of something she she does i mean this is the first book i read but something she seems to do well it seems to be one of the themes it's like sad but it's not it's not just that it's well that, right you were kind of saying that like before we got on like you're like i think i'm sad but yeah. like had this sort of questioning about it, like what, how do I feel about these characters or these, these stories? And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's you. You hit the nail on the head. It's like there. I, I mean, I think my my overwhelming sense was mostly sad, but there's a lot of other kind of things rippling underneath that that inflect it differently when the stories are looked at differently. I feel like the last story was the one that kind of went the the most in that in the in the raw kind of like sad direction but also is that where the title's plucked yeah so the last story is called like life which by the way i mean i'll just say i don't love the title of the collection just because it i don't know it 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 rubbed me the wrong way but in the story it it just you know i don't know it's just kind of cringe it's like my stories are like life man or like <laughs> yeah. whatever, like you just think some cringe yeah, yeah. thing. But it, it, in the context of the story, it it actually made more sense than just plucked for a title. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it comes out in a pretty dark little snippet of a sentence. Like the title comes out of like uh, a doctor saying she, she the character 
has like a precancerous mole and she's like what the <laughs> yeah. fuck does precancerous mean and sh- and she's just like is that like life like you're you're like as if cancer is death isn't precancer like life <laughs> yeah something <laughs> well and then it comes up again yeah, in her interaction with the the woman at the in the bathroom too where the the woman in the bathroom is talking about her love life and she goes i don't have a love life i have a like life Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's echo, <laughs> yeah. echoed in a couple of different ways there. Well, so, so, I mean, yeah. How do you guys want to tackle this? Should we, should we talk about that last story or do you want to give some brief synopses of a couple other ones or, you know, again, the, the short story, perhaps something we should have talked about ahead of time, but uh, here yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, I definitely want to talk about the, the story of the Jewish hunter. That's maybe my favorite um, one in the, yeah. Maybe we should just go in order. Cause I feel like, that that's my always my tendency just because I feel like like an album order or something it's like the intended mm. vision vision of the writer themselves hopefully is is part of that so maybe just well, go also good for marketing because if you're listening to the public episode you're not going to be able to hear us talk about every story because it's going to go too longer than an hour one hundred percent yeah hear, you so you hear. just want to do that just plow through story by story and see where love, it takes us we'll get to, to the end of story two through. and then we'll go into the <laughs> the patreon basically yeah <laughs> I mean, but before we before we, yeah before we get into the details i mean i guess paul you were talking about cohesive themes like what, what were those themes for you that emerged through these stories just like big picture well i would say like the majority maybe like four or five of the stories is is mostly from the viewpoint of a of a of a female character struggling either being single or in a relationship or in a bad relationship. Um, but they all seem to encapsulate relationships, I would say for sure. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple of stories about like, or one story in particular is about like an older married woman. Um, so yeah, it, it, it deals with like how people are dealing with, the emotions of a long-term relationship of being single for a long time, but the themes kind of run throughout of like loneliness, um, uh, a push for wanting a romantic relationship in their life, feelings of loss, but more does it with such like an understanding of the human spirit and with such a wit and like a poetic capability that is just like yeah, like how Matt was saying, it encapsulates like every human emotion. How she does it, like I think I'm with you, Gabe. Like when I first I picked it because I was interested, but I was kind of like, oh, the cover's a little cringy, the the title's a little maybe possibly cringy, but I was blown away and happy that I picked such a great book. Tap <laughs> on the back for me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think like that. The t- just you know the th- talking about the relationships it seems to me like a lot of these things a lot of these stories are about the various vicissitudes and ex- t- ways of express like like types of expression of love you know there's there's romances that kind of like flourish under very specific conditions and then have to get left behind in these stories there's long-term married romances there's the love of a mother for her daughter and sort of vicariously through another male character and a son um there's you know these clearly uh you know troubled relationships between people in the depths of poverty that are kind of you know borderline abusive and you know again all of that um just like that that sort of prismatic view of love i think to me was a big part of it 
Yeah, I, that would co- be correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's only one story that actually is from a male's perspective. Yes. Is that right? Second or one. Two? Yeah, the second I one. I think the there's only one. the one. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't totally matter. The themes are still alive and well in that story as well. And and also like just the the ways in which people's environment interacts with their mental states. I think mm-hmm. is another big one because these stories take place in big cities and also in sort of like nondescript, like small Midwestern towns. And I feel like Moore has a big, you know, she puts a, a lot of emphasis on the way that people's emotions and mental states interact with their environments. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which makes her uh, very like uh, singular, it feels to me, American writer too. Like, I, I, a lot of these subtleties are of place within the United States and therefore like, and uh, we all are, are, you know, basically like from the general region that Lori Moore is from. And uh, mm-hmm. we've, we're just sort of familiar with like a little bit her migratory pattern. Cause a lot of the places she mentions were places she was for professional or personal reasons also in her mm-hmm. life. Obviously, you know, this was, probably the only one of the one of the few like bi- biographical kind of things that she was she was using but like um yeah it feels very well observed as people familiar with a lot of the places she's describing yeah. in the book and like i not i currently live in a small midwestern town paul lived in a large midwestern city that's mentioned in the book at one point and so yeah i think that's true yeah. matt maybe that's part of why it hit me is just that yeah, that sense of migration and, and, and place. Like, all these stories feel so, so uh, rooted in where they take place, like, in, in such important ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I think kind of she's basically actually only by someone who could live there. Yeah. She's lived in Madison, Wisconsin, I think, for, like, the last 30-plus years, too. Yeah, I think she's a teacher. Yeah. Professor, don't get it twisted, baby. Professor. Prof, sorry, yeah. Prof. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, well, so, yeah, if we're just going to plow through these, let's let's talk about the first one, which is titled Two Boys. Um, what's this one about? Who wants to take it? I'll go first. All right. From what, I mean, this is the first one I read. I don't know about you, but it, it's kind of shaky. <laughs> Me too, dude. <laughs> is oh, it? Shit. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's the first, first one in the book. That's <laughs> insane. That was one of my dry jokes. That doesn't sound like a joke, but whatever. Um, we just don't get you. Yeah, this times. one is about a character named Mary. It takes place in Cleveland, and she basically has these two unnamed boyfriends it's, um, that she's dating. One's married, one is not, and she calls them number one and number two. Um. And it just basically, from what I remember, it, like, it kind of just goes back and forth between her experiences with these two, and they both have their kind of issues, and she's um, she's just kind of like, I don't even know, she's like seeing where they go, but also knowing that they're kind of dead ends as well. Um, her motives are kind of unclear, but it just kind of goes down to like the theme of her being like a sad single person, just and kind of going through what's happening in front of her and the experiences that are in front of her and the people that like and and she's she, you know. I, I feel like more writes uh, writes her and it, like explicitly states like she's arguably going through a type of like mental breakdown throughout the book right yeah and that then, felt big and she constructs like a third boyfriend in her head as well right that's kind number of three. an amalgam of the, the two number three yeah number three yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, she basically says, like, oh, if, if only you two were, like, both, like, the good parts of you were into this person named number three, that'd be a perfect boyfriend for me, yeah. And we were talking about how, you know, yeah, these are all about love in various ways and relationships, and uh, this one is, it feels like the right thing to start with, almost, like, uh, uh, the fact of just finding, you know, something lacking, uh, and essentially, like, you know, that initial desire to be like Dr. Frankenstein and, and, and somehow graft together the perfect person if you could, but it's it's not going to happen. And it feels like that definitely taking a toll to the point where maybe she's, she's yeah, she's going to have a breakdown. I mean, she explicitly describes herself as like, like shortly hereafter I will have a mental breakdown. You never exp- you never see it happen or in the in the story but like there's all these weird details. Yeah, she's uh-huh. like she's sort of split between these two figures that represent kind of qualities that she's into. Uh and again sex and death cliff. Uh she <laughs> lives she lives the entire time near a slaughterhouse. So there's just like blood in the streets and like pigs yeah. being killed and like carcasses being like, uh, you know, delivered in mass into these big warehouses next to her apartment. And she's just kind of observing that the whole time. I don't know. It makes sense that you'd go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that was, again, we'll come back to this in the other stories, but that's like a, a sort of like one of those environmental details that more yeah. makes explicit links to with the character. I mean, not not you know explicit, but clearly you know important. sausage links. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In, important like uh, links to the character's psychological state, like and and the descriptions of the the blood just like running in the street and pooling and mixing with the dirty like city water and you know it, it, in in this kind of like gross admixture which may be sort of a metaphor for the fake boyfriend that she creates in her head uh, as like a (laughs) ultimately gross and impossible concoction. Well, I really do think of Frankenstein. I really did think Frankenstein monster, like raw meat slapped together into a non-living, but sort of galvanized creation just that ultimately can't exist and is like maddening. And undesirable ultimately because (laughs) yeah, and I think it, also there's this there's the weird little detail of the the little girl who spits on her at the beginning, yeah. and and then she encounters like two or three other times, uh, and she's kind of this like weird, kind of not de- not quite demonic but otherworldly presence in the story, and just kind of cutting. It, it, it reminded me of the Capote story, Miriam. With the yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. creepy little girl who you know inserts herself into this um, sat, you know elderly woman's life. Yeah, arguably unreal. Maybe you know, like I think one of the big things that uh, gets brought up a bunch is, um, and then is sort of I think the most emphasized at the end in the last story is like uh, you you can choose something, right? Or you have nothing like that kind of idea, right? Like kind of being bounced around. Like you can think yeah, about I mean, shit all you want, but you, you 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 have to make a choice, or you like will have nothing. Yeah, let me that. Yeah. I'll read this little section I underlined in this story because that totally relates to it. <clears throat> uh, two pulled a dollar from his pocket. There you go, my man. He said. It suddenly seemed to Mary that she would have to choose that even if you didn't know who in the world to love, 
it was important to choose. You choose love like a belief, a faith, a place, a box for one's heart to knock against like a spook in the house. I actually, I, I love that because, yeah, it's very Sterner. <laughs> but it also, like, even though the story, the way we're describing it, sounds sort of. like really dark and yeah. kind of, you know, only dark at this point. But there are snippets throughout all of her stories, I would say, that are very heartfelt and uplifting. Um, even though they kind of be like, they're like, cut off by a dark moment like right after something like this happens but i do love those little moments like that it's like just her impending madness Mm -hmm. and then the and then the slaughterhouse says the like sort of two prevailing things that you're like okay like this is the darkness here um i had another little passage too that was just sort of about indecision which i thought was funny uh because she goes and takes that trip eventually and it's just kind of like whatever she she (laughs) just she decides she needs to go to canada yeah, it reminded me of... Did you, did you guys ever see the movie Francis Ha? Mm-mm. No. Uh, is that a Woody this, Allen movie? No, I forget who the fuck it is, actually. Uh, but this girl goes... She thinks she's a dancer, and she's kind of mediocre at dance, and then she like decides to like whimsically kind of take this trip to France. And uh, she's jet-lagged, and she just kind of like hangs out and sits on a bench a lot of the time in like, a park and like whatever... And then she comes back, and she's not really successful. I don't know. It reminded me of like <laughs> this character's <laughs> trip to Canada. Mm-hmm. So this is a little part. It's uh, She bought guidebooks about Canada, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island. She stayed in her room, away from spitters, the girl. Alternately flipped and perused the pages of her books, her head filling like a suitcase with the names of hotels and local monuments and exchange rates and historical episodes, a fearful excitement building in her to an exhaustion. Travel moving up through her like a blood until she, f- until she felt she had already been to Canada, already been traveling there for months, and now had to fall back alone on her bed and rest. <laughs> yes, I I, I I I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> planning for a trip like that, and then it's yeah. I think uh, I I have another pass passage related to the trip that I also just thought was funny. So maybe I'll just throw it on here into on the, the stack. And th- this is when she's actually in Canada and she's in, she's in Ottawa. Um, Mary went to a restaurant that had once been a mill and she smiled at the waiters and stared at the stone walls at night alone in her hotel room. She imagined the cool bridal bleach of the sheets, healing her, holding her like a shroud, working their white temporarily through her skin and into the thinking blood of her. Every morning at seven, someone phoned from her death, phoned her from the desk downstairs to wake her up. What is there to do today? Mary inquired. You want Montreal, miss. This is Ottawa. (laughs) 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 But but again, like that, 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 even that little line, which is really funny. And there's all this, you know, there are those moments of levity and humor, but even that little line is about the the distinction between these two things that are like irreconcilable. Like you, you're supposed to be in Montreal, but you're sort of in the wrong place. You've made the wrong choice. Um, yeah. You know, et cetera. And that, did you, that traveling sitting on a bench theme comes into play later in the, in the story with the, the young um, British boy that it visits the, the couple. Yeah. In another story. Definitely. Yeah. 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 We'll talk about because that. Because, you have this main character who's who's not making a choice, uh, in a way. And then you have yeah people that do make the choice, and it's also disappointing. And it's just like there's no. If you have a certain conception of things, I guess it maybe is one of the points more is making like then, then you will be in pain, <laughs> or something like that. Right. 
did you think this main character got preg- was pregnant? There's a lot of ambiguity because I, I don't know about that. Uh, what made you? What was? What made you think that, man? Uh, again, I'm I'm sort of remembering back as this being the first one, but like, uh, she has these like uh, doesn't she have these pains? I thought that was a different story. Because there's another, another story. There's another story. Yeah, I think it's Joy, where the girl goes on that date with the guy dressed uh, in Halloween as a woman. He's like wearing yeah, like a she's weird sick woman too, suit. That's your that's your ugly too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, your ugly too. And yeah. that in that story, she like definitely has cancer. Something. Did I just make this up? Well, the, I mean, while you look look for that, Matt, the other thing that was ambiguous to me in, at the ending of this story is whether or not the second boyfriend kills himself, or if that's just a a, <laughs> yeah. a dream that Mary has, right? Because their last interaction is like pretty negative, and he was kind of like, uh, you know, harass like doing like stalker harassment behavior, like when she got back from Montreal, just like calling her like pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, and she was kind of ignoring it. Yeah, um, and then she finally picks up, and he he's like you know all jealous, and and this the, the second boyfriend is kind of this like dark like brooding like tortured artist type guy, um, and you know they have this negative interaction on their last phone call, and then there's this passage, um, that I'll I guess I'll just read to kind of bring home the the ambiguity in it. At home, the phone rang, but Mary let the machine pick it up. It was nobody. The machine clicked and went through its business, rewound. Beneath her, the hooks and pulleys across the meat store ceiling rattled and bumped. In a dream, the phone rang again and she picked it up. It was somebody she knew only vaguely, a neighbor of boy number two. I have some bad news, he said in the dream. But then the next day, the girl comes up to her and like is talking about her imaginary boyfriends and is like, oh, I'll never get to meet, or they're unreliable because they're, de- they're all dead. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, again, this kind of like weird ambiguity and and sort of uh, and again uh, like matt said at the beginning it's important that this character is written as having already in the throes of or on the edge of sort of a mental breakdown yeah maybe maybe i'm probably conflating i can't really Mm. find it so i might be thinking the other way uh well should we talk about the next story yeah let's yeah scoot it um okay so the next one is called how do we pronounce this vc dart which uh, <laughs> you want to give it a shot, man? No, you did it. It's good. Yeah. Visi Visidarte. Which is a song, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's from an opera. Uh, I forget which one. I think it's a Puccini opera. I looked it up when I was reading it, but I've forgotten now. And uh, so this is the one story, as, as we mentioned, um, that is from written from the point of view of a of a male character. Um, this and, guy reminded me of the Moon Palace guy. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. How how so? Just like a a, a man, like a, a, I th- I feel I got the sense like a younger guy. I forget if the age is ex- expressed, but like uh, dedicated to some sort of artistic pursuit, and like just wasting away in a shitty apartment <laughs> while yeah. he does that. Yeah, true, true. And it not working out also, really. See, I actually, that's interesting that you said that because I actually read this guy, his name's Harry. Um, yeah. I, I actually was reading him as if he was a little bit older, like like mid, mid late 40s or something almost, uh, mm-hmm. if not even older than that. But I don't know why. Again, I'm not sure if the, I don't think the, um, 
uh, age is explicitly ever mentioned. But yeah, he's basically like a struggling playwright who had like a mild success uh, of a play that was written up and he was in the like top 25 something. Uh, yeah. P- playwrights. Well, yeah, because doesn't say he was in like top 20 under 30 or something. And then He's this like ta- a thirty under thirty dude, yeah. And then, and but 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 then this takes place sort of years after that, and so he's maybe in his mid thirties or something by this time or something like that. There uh, are a lot of the people that age. It does feel like a bit of like also a book. I mean, there's older characters or whatever, but like it did feel t- more about the kind of specific crises of being like I guess in your thirties maybe or something yeah. like that. And like as Matt said, he's sort of been working on this, this big play that's gonna shoot him back into the limelight, and he's it's gonna be awesome, and he's gonna get famous, and he yeah. he's it, it's it's based on you know loosely based on sort of his life, and it culminates with this dramatic scene of his grandmother grandmother right I think dying great aunt, great aunt yeah dying which really emotionally affected him, and um, his girlfriend's you know sick of it because they're just poor and he's like does not doing anything and they live above a um like a peep show kind of club <laughs> yeah the, yeah t- the 25 cent girls sign. They live in like hell's kitchen or like some yeah yeah exactly um and uh he ultimately you know his girlfriend who who you know we got to mention funny names on this show whenever they occur <laughs> his girlfriend's yeah. name is brecky <laughs> is that a re- Brecky, which just like that's just uh yeah that that feels like something i don't know that, that's yeah. pkd levels yeah i know yeah exactly it's like a pkd no it's not it's not I yeah think it is you don't think it's a great it's a great name i think it Brecky? Like, totally Brecky? fits the character Brecky? yeah i mean in, in terms of like a name matching up with the characterization of somebody i thought it was like perfect okay well how so what do you mean by that well, I just remember the character being kind of like annoying and weird, and she just seemed like a brecky. <laughs> and I, I thought that Moore had like I mean, a really I, good. I don't think she was annoying. Okay. I think she was like reasonably frustrated with a kind of dirtbag boyfriend, who's like, yeah. Maybe I'm getting her confused with another character. I'm sorry. There's all we, we can't keep stories you read. Yeah, we can't <laughs> keep the, any of this shit straight in our dumb dumb heads. Yeah, brecky's just seems so, normal. I mean, it's slang. Oh, brecky's by British people. Uh, okay. <laughs> that is true. But, uh, so yeah, anyway, so. Oh, yeah, sto- Brecky was normal. The story Sorry. culminates with him, you know, cut, finally, you know, Brecky leaves him. He uh, tries to call her and she's, you know, finds another another uh, partner and he finally gets him sort of to the depths of poverty that he it, it finally starts accepting uh, phone calls from these Hollywood, like Hollywood TV show people who want him to like write episodes of TV shows based on the like play that he wrote years before and um he has a meeting with one of these guys and winds up basically like spewing his entire play to him and then the guy basically just rips him off and like writes a tv episode based on it anyway and uh yeah that's kind of the end he kind of freaks out yeah yeah that one made me sad mostly because yeah. the dude, I love this one. Gets, I did too. It was a nightmare. It was a fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. It was like it was an so anxiety-inducing. It was really funny too, and also it also was a little bit like oddly charming and hopeful too. Like there's the uh, prostitute on the street that he 
that he runs into over the course of like many weeks and months who like obviously just wants to like date him. At least that's how I saw it. And he just he's in love with Brecky and he has to get Brecky back and he just doesn't give her the time of day. Um, but it does end up spiraling into a nightmare with the uh, producer from Hollywood or whatever, like stealing his ideas. Scarp. What was his name? Something Scarp. Scarp. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Yeah, Edward Sharp like, and the Magnetic Zeros. Glenn. Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Scarp. Glenn Scarp. Yeah. It, like, yeah, like Harry's like, uh, yeah, he caves in this guy, this agent who he had uh, sort of. He didn't. He, you know, he was a classic artist. Like he didn't, I don't. I don't want to fucking. I mean, I think the other image is like I don't want to prostitute myself, and he's like in the red light district, essentially of New York. But like, right, exactly. He's like, you know, I'm pure. Like, I'm gonna like take these. Th- I'm gonna curate these like these beautiful moments from my life into the into the best play. And then he gets poor, and he's like, all right, I'll write one episode of television based on one episode or one scene or something from like my play and then uh he's so desperate for an audience for what he's been working on for like years and years mm-hmm. that yeah he just he just basically does all the parts and does a one-man show for this agent from yes <laughs> and he, and he gets a huge amount of confirmation from that because the agent like is Likes like it. super super into it and loves it and he's and yeah, and then Harry's like, "Nice, I fucking crushed it. Like, I'm getting the work," and he's like riding high for like five days, and then he hears nothing, and then eventually he gets in touch with Scarp again. Scarp's like, "Dude, it was so nice hanging out with you. Like, I wrote an episode, uh, doing all that great stuff you were saying, and you know, I'm so excited for you to see it, and uh, it's just gone now. Yeah." And then he just he finally breaks down and and goes into the strip club which he, he made like a big deal about having never been into despite having lived above it for for all of these years and that and that final scene is just like it's so you could see it in just like a a fucking a24 movie where he's <laughs> yeah. he, he's just in the strip club and the you know sitting in the booth you know i guess it's one of these private booth things with the glass screen between you and the dancer and she just kind of puts her body up against the glass and he just shoves his face against it and like yeah. <laughs> and and he tries to impart warmth between this cold glass it, it reminds yeah, me of paris sad. texas mm-hmm. yeah well i mean the the scary or the more anxiety inducing moment for me matt it was like he um what when he chooses to tell his like life story and like the play that he's been working on in conversation to the guy it's not necessarily because he just wants to talk to someone it's because he wants to like keep him interested so he'll get the job as a writer um and the also the other thing that made it kind of anxiety inducing was that like you kind of got the feeling or the impression that he knew how these hollywood types thought and knew how to like talk to them to get the job like he he just had this this idea in his head that he knew he knew the world perfectly and knew it was going to happen and knew if he talked to this guy this way it'll be correct but Scarp, what was his name? Scarpy? Scarp. Scarp, yeah. Scarp. It, it, it really comes out that I don't even know if Scarp was like trying to be an asshole by taking his ideas. Well, I think that's, really? that's one of the interesting questions. It's like, yeah. It was more, it, to me, it almost felt like a Paul Oster story, like some single guy just kind yeah. of descending into madness, but you kind of buy into his madness as you, as you read it because it's like kind of clear and 
well thought out madness Mm -hmm. but then the culmination of the story ends up being just like complete (laughs) you you suddenly see the cards crash down and he's just a guy in new york city living in a terrible shitty apartment and looking at naked women through a plexiglass yeah he's got these uh he's got these um plumbing issues the whole time the story's going on where like his his fucking bathtub and stuff keep like filling with like progressively worse material (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's just like a little bit of water and then it's like kind of brackish water and at the end it's like literally like a black goo sludge just fatberg coming through his fucking pipes yeah Uh, and then you know like again i mean again like reading that stuff it, it was also weird because you wonder about there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, I feel like the phrase magical realism is just cringe at this point, but it's because even the way the stuff gets in the tub, he's like, I plugged it and I didn't drain it the last time. So why is it replaced with this totally different liquid? And it becomes (laughs) very like hallucinatory almost. And then of course that is paired with his ongoing paranoia about his own health, because there are these trucks that park outside of his apartment every night to go like these big, you know, semi trucks that are, uh, uh, you know, their drivers are going to the, um, the the strip club or hiring prostitutes or whatever, and uh, sex workers. They're just, they're just idling. And, and they're just idling the trucks. And so he becomes obsessed with, like, the health effect of this exhaust that's going to have on him. And he becomes one of those guys who calls the cops over and over again. And they're, all, they're eventually just like, all right, dude, we get it. Like, we know who you are. Yeah. There, he becomes a bit of a Karen to the cops. And. I forget when, but later in the story, he calls the cops for like a legitimate reason, and they like know who he is, and they hang up on him because <laughs> he's been calling for months and months. And it's also kind of unclear whether or not he's actually concerned about his health or just wants the trucks gone. You know, he just becomes so obsessed with like these idling trucks. It's also really funny. Like the first time he yells at one of the truckers, he's the trucker's like, "I'm not gonna turn off the engine. We're gonna get cold." <laughs> yeah right it's like it makes sense what i'm doing yeah leave me alone yeah this definitely felt a lot like the inhumanity of new york city Mm -hmm. glad to know it glad to know it's been that way forever (laughs) yeah can can definitely relate i mean i liked there was just a turn one of the other things that lauren moore does very well is uh like find these like turns of phrase or metaphors for things like that's a huge part of the pleasure of like reading her stuff uh i this in this story there was this one which made me laugh uh the you know harry goes to these uh, coffee shops to work classic uh, uh and left the apartment to roam the streets again to find an open newsstand a safe coffee shop that didn't put a maraschino cherry on the rice pudding so that even when you picked it off its mark remained soaked in like blood by walt disney <laughs> yeah that was know, just that was such a w- interesting turn of phrase yeah <laughs> She's fucking full of those. And I think, and sorry, were you going to say something, Gabe? I, I was just going to read another passage from this story that, that oh, okay. had a sim- similar effect on me. Just like, yeah, like Moore's writing is just like, she she comes up with these, you know, metaphors or similes and, and like, you know, I could see a type of person reading this and being like, oh, there's too many. It's all like simile stuff and whatever. And I know that's sort of frowned upon by a certain school of writing, but the, the, the turns of phrase and the, the connections that Moore is able to kind of make are just like, I, I was reading some of these and I just like would sit back and be like, how the, who fucking thinks like that? Like who, <laughs> yeah. who makes that connection mentally? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so here was one for me. So he's talking to, uh, I guess, one of his old friends who's living in Seattle. 
and Dane. um Dane, yeah. And so he says, Tell me something one tell me something wonderful, he said to Dane. He would lie on his bed, the phone cradled at his cheek, and stare lonesomely at the steeple made by the shadow of the bookcase against the wall. Tell me that we are going to die dreamfully and loved in our sleep. You're always writing one of your plays on the phone, said Dane. I said something wonderful. Say something about springtime. It is sloppy and wet. Is it a it is a beast from the sea? Ah, said Harry. And I just think, think that little phrase, like, springtime, it's a beast from the sea. I was just like, that's like, uh Just like those little phrases are just, like, so sprinkled everywhere yeah, that, in these stories. I'm not sure if if I underlined it, and I think it's this story, but there's a line about, like, dying uh, dying in your sleep. And she, I, I think it's the story, but maybe it's not. But the character says, like, I've always wanted to die in my sleep, but, like, to, like not now, like, not tonight. <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i can't it's remember like, yeah it's like which is it was like which is funny because that's how he said he would like to die but just not right now yeah just not right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah well and that's an, that, that, that's another kind of theme that comes up in these stories like we'll talk about in the final story uh when we get there that the, the sort of like something needing to happen but it can't or or i don't want it to happen right now like there it, there's this time displacement where it's things happening, but it's not the right time, or it's it's the it's the it's the uh, Hamlet and slash Derrida reference. Like the time is always out of joint a little bit in these stories, like to the point where you miss a connection or something doesn't happen in the right way at the right moment. Um, yeah, I also just wanted from this story just briefly to bring up because Matt brought up like the horrors of New York City in this in this story and I wanted to bring up the 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 sex worker woman who lives below him that he sees every morning Deli yeah her and, name's Deli and her whole story her whole story Perfect. is that like she came to New York City from you know some small town and she just saw like blazing signs with the word delicatessen and she was just like that's a beautiful word and I, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that just became her name because she didn't know what it that's meant. That's my sex worker name, she, Deli. She, she didn't know what it meant and then, you know, her whole development where her whole thing, you know, classic kind of like, I, I want to get out of this, I want a real job and like he shows up one day and she's like, look, I got a real job It's and, and her real job is handing out flyers for the sex club. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just sort of like these, these this lateral movement that doesn't really change anything about people's lives seems to be another theme here yeah like only a slight improvement on the the current situation but it, i mean yet again though that it, it rubbed me in a heartwarming way too. that moment she's like even though it's it's a small thing it, it was a small enough thing that made my heart warm a little bit like but, but, but she's then, trying to get the attention of harry by doing this at least that's how I read it. But then he watches her out the window and she ultimately just gives up and throws them all in the trash can because <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. she sees everybody else doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No one's paying attention. She's just like, yeah, well, this yeah. is fucking pointless, actually. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's yeah. move on here. Uh, story three. Sad. sad. Yeah, sad. sad. All right. I'm Matt. becoming sad again. Matt, your turn here. Joy. Joy. What is this? What the fuck is this one? This is the one about the woman who works at the cheese shop. Yeah, once again, don't really know how to like succinctly describe this. I mean, Jane, right? Jane is the name of the woman, but yeah. I, I mean, this one seems very simply about small joys, I guess. I think this uh, is the only one that doesn't really like center around a relationship or or is kind of a relationship has like passed and this woman is single now. Uh but yeah, it it, it doesn't really center around 
a relationship of any kind. Uh, it's just this woman living alone. Uh, it centers more around like medical needs for her cat, and then she just works at the cheese shop and like I don't know, like just these small like moments that she. Once well, she has like a enjoys. coworker that she kind of has a relationship, not a relationship, but like a friendship with that works at the cheese shop and. Well, it's sort of it's kind of a brazen person. The kind of like catalyzing event, if you can call it that, is like one of her old friends who who's, you know, slightly more whatever successful in life, like shows up and she's like, oh, you're a manager at a cheese shop. How's how's that going? You know, like the classic sort of just like seeing someone from your past, you know, high school reunion type experience. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. She feels lacking, one, but then that relationship they they start talking and I don't know it's kind of nice. Yeah, she, wonder, and uh, she suggests that she should join the local choir, like the church choir, and oh yeah, because yeah. she's a singer. And then she goes to the choir class, and the the teacher's like, "Someone's not supposed to be here. There's one twenty people. It's you." And yeah. she just leaves. She's like, oh, "I'm sorry, I gotta go." <laughs> <laughs> we don't have enough sheet music. Who's here? Not supposed to be. She's like, "It's me, Jane." This was the one story that I've, I've been watching a lot of New Girl was Zoe De, De Chanel, and I was like, this is the one story that I feel like could be a plot of a of a sitcom episode. Kind of gave me not that it was you know bad by any means. It was just like it was kind of like more uplifting and lighthearted. I would say Zoe um, uh, Zoe can come on the podcast at any time. Yeah. Yes, and whatever this, property brother she's dating. This is definitely. This felt like. <laughs> I, is she actually dating a property <laughs> brother? I'm pretty sure she's dating one of the twin. I don't know. One of those twin so boys. Much. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, Zoe, having, you take this property brother? <laughs> one of the property brothers on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> oh, like the man. the structure of this novel is really st- sturdy. Yeah, just stuff like that. <laughs> This uh, this novel felt like a, an open concept kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> he would have told us exactly what was wrong with the toilets in the last episode, or the last uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's, yeah, there's a number of reasons. Sounds like, like the main stack. Oh my god. Um, this one just this one was like the most uh, light, lightest touch to me. It felt I, I, slice of lifey kind of like. The, there wasn't a lot of like heady drama. It's like th- her cat, and then Fluffers. you know, like just kind of like by all accounts living this um, unremarkable and very like boring and by some descriptions to by some people like uh, just kind of sad life. But mid- she doesn't feel Midwest. that way about it. She doesn't feel that way about it, and it's not uh, disingenuous that she doesn't. I don't know. Well, and the whole the other important subplot here is. She takes her cat to the vet, and there's, she encounters another family who's bringing a dog for surgery. Or another is it another cat or a dog? I forget. It's another a cat. dog. Then, yeah. or it's a cat. Oh, it's a oh. dog. It, I, I thought it was. I think it's cat. another. I think it's another cat. I don't remember. And it dies. And and she comes back later, and the the cat. She sees the the dad speaking sort of in hush, hushed tones to the vet, uh, and the cat has died during surgery. And uh, mm. what's that all about? What? <laughs> Death. So what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know why. I, lo- well, I don't know why that, that got me. Yeah. 
that. Well, but again, I mean, again, like it's like Matt was talking about. It's sort of like these these small joys always kind of uh, uh, you know attached at the hip to these small sadnesses, right? That and and it's they're never sort of you can never really uh, delink the, those those two things. It seems like as part of the story. Yeah. I don't know. She just works at her cheese shop, and Heffy <laughs> Heffy is the name of the other Heffy. Yeah, another weird name. Heffy's I, face see, was he, described as a snowy moon of things never done. I, oh my yes, god! I, I just was so I good. was just about to fucking read that. I underlined uh, it. Sorry, I didn't mean to s- steal it, but another one of those descriptions where I'm just like, "Damn, burn!" I think. Yeah. Also, brilliant. yeah, brilliant. And I I did want to go back to like the uh, sorry. In the in the it's not really a forward, it's just like a shout out to Zelda Fitzgerald. Mm. The quote at the very beginning. Yeah, the epigraph. Um yeah, it just says it seemed very sad to see you going off in your new shoes alone. Mm-hmm. Which I read like a thousand times. I was like, this is just a line of poetry basically to me. It's just like thought provoking. It doesn't necessarily make sense. But I, I feel like after reading that, I noticed that Moore was like she does that so often or tries to emulate that same sort of poetic grip on you in certain sentences. And that was one of them that I felt like she was trying to do it. She does it way more um, in different passages and especially at the end of stories, like at the end of the last story, it's just like amazingly poetic and strange. But well, I, I just I, wanted to mention that. I think Paul, I also just wanted to mention that moment where she's kicked out of the choir rehearsal it's another one of those like kind of time out of joint moments, like wrong place, wrong time. Like you're not, like you said, like Matt, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. You know, it's everything is just a little bit on a, on a lilt, you know, I, I, I wanted to read this other passage from this story um, that I think you put on Instagram or something, Paul, on your Instagram. Um, so it says, this is about her kind of ex-boyfriend who, that, you know, they broke up and part of another subplot of the story is her kind of sort of memory of him. And there's a beautiful description of like, he comes back to the town and they go on this like little drive for old time's sake and they see the Mississippi river. And it was just, it, it, it's so American and so just like subtle. And like you said, Matt, this story is very delicate. It's very like light. There's not a lot of. Yeah. Um, but, th- but this passage is her thinking about him again. For a short time she mourned him, believing he had anchored her, had kept her from floating off into no man's land, that land of midnight cries and pets with too many little toys. But now she... (laughs) I know, just like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But now she rarely thought of him. She knew there were only small joys in life. The big ones were too complicated to be joys when you got all through. And once you realized that, it took a lot of the pressure off. You could cut... You could put the pressure aside like a child's game, its box ripped to flaps at the corners... You could stick it in some old closet and forget about it. And, I, you know, again, like it's that kind of muted mundanity, which is, you know, like you like like she says, coming to terms with small joys as like most of what you can get out of life. And I think the ending of this story where, you know, Heffy quits and they spend an afternoon just drinking champagne behind the counter and eating the cheese. Is, it was just so beautiful and like such a perfect example of what Moore was trying to get across. Yeah, yes. I this might be one of my one of my more favorite stories in the in the collection, just because of that. Like, this one felt the most. 
real to me, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it. Like, uh, just kind of how how things are, uh, ev- if, if even just for me, I guess, or I don't know, you know. It, it reminded me, like, I, I, I was, I was, oh, sorry, you cut out for a second, Matt, go ahead. Like you said. Oh, you no, just like the, no, I'm saying, there's just like a, <laughs> yeah, clearly she's got like a, a bit of a, She's got her breakup. There was, a, you know, whatever. She was living elsewhere. I think she's back home, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, like, fine, but, like, a little depressing. But, you know, yeah, you just sort of... <laughs> you take you take joys where you can get them. Yeah. And it's not really that bad, either. Like, it's not... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, that could be more American, but it's, like... There's a lot to be said for what you have, but it's there's no ju- value judgment either way. So right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, this story, yeah. you, you've mentioned it. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. No, I was going to say, like, the it's not like the last line in the in the story, but um, Heffy at one point says as they're drinking behind the counter, she just toasts and says, to our little lives. And I just thought it was yeah. a great little, like, joyous little summation of the story. It was just like cute and beautiful they're in a cheese shop and they're just like kind of happy with where they are yes i just i just saw them as like in one like uh in like one of those big uh like a <laughs> malls just mm-hmm. one of those little stores in a mall like the one out by you <laughs> you know yeah. just like literally just like big like that like big great fence thing that you like roll down closed and locked up and they're just like having champagne with like some of the most of the lights off but they're just like chilling and eating random cheese samples it's beautiful yeah uh, it reminded it me i mean you've mentioned a couple times about this story matt and then maybe we need to wrap up uh before we get to the patreon only segment but oh god um it, it reminded me i was reading a little today and i have read a lot you know more in the past but i was reading some Chekhov short stories and Chekhov's kind of whole thing is like it's it, there's not like you said there's not a lot of drama it's just very kind of like slice of life very just you know trying to find the the meaning uh, in the in the mundanity in those tiny little details of people's like day-to-day life and this this it, this story made me think of Chekhov uh in, in that way because there's no high drama it's very it's a very like i said a very delicate thing and there's not you're not going to be like blown away you got to sit with it for a bit you know but more it's not just like there's a lack of high drama there's lack of high drama like enacted in a lot of these cases not all that some the you know some of these stories have some crazy shit in them but like the interior lives of these people don't don't shy away from the fact that it feels like fucking you know high drama like uh yeah that your your dreams are thwarted and and you you, you you oscillate back and forth in these painful ways in these moments and you, and you you just you don't know what the fucking right thing to do is but in doing so so often you you don't do anything and like that's also bad but she's not she's not afraid of that being like a highly relatable and like sometimes also good process while also often causing the very pain you were afraid of i guess yeah and i think her her brilliance with it is like taking these little moments and ideas and stories and like like translating them in, in her writing and making making them so apparent to us in such a beautiful way I, sorry I had a glass of wine and I'm like a little sappy now 
Why, oh, why, no, oh. why no Kajito, dude? There's, Remember yeah. that pun from the yes. other story? Yes, oh my god, that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, there may be tears to come in the, in the Patreon-only segment, <laughs> yeah, um, to be honest. Uh, I definitely cried a few Maybe. times during these stories. but um, Including this one coming up. Including the next one, You're Ugly 2, which uh, arguably one of the meteor stories in the collection, but we're going to have to save it because we're at our artificial limit for all right uh all of these people um these people being we lovely listeners we got th- we only got through we got three th- three yeah three this is a short story conundrum um short so episode. i i think uh not really <laughs> no regular I, I, I think we can justifiably skip the beloved harry potter segment mm-hmm. yeah too because much. there's just too many characters here <laughs> too to, much. to do it for um but that means we get to go straight to scores all right. No, we can do uh, the Scrabble. Oh, Scrabble the Scrabble word. word. You're right. I have one. Me too. I don't, all right. I don't have. I don't have one. Matt doesn't have one. He's too smart. He knows all the words in the book. No, I actually <laughs> literally. So, there were a number of times where I was like, write this down, and I didn't do yeah. it. Yeah. To be fair, I I had to scramble to find one before we started too. So I'll go first. And I this is one of the, uh, one of those words that I I know, and I'm like, oh, I know, I know this word, but I have to look it up every time I see it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's yeah. one of those words that where the meaning just, like, never sticks for me. Um, and this is actually from, from one of the ones we've talked about already. Uh, it's from VC de Art. Uh, and it's deracinated. Deracinated. Right. Which means, like, uprooted, kind of, you know, without direction, uh, etc. It, it almost sounds like the title of, like, an 80s action movie, that word. But it's not quite. <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> the deracinator. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It reminds me. Go. Oh my god, it, that reminds me. That, there's a fucking Hey Arnold episode where oh nice where there's a, a, a like a superhero guy that Hey Arnold meets and he, it's kind of like a never meet <laughs> monkey man. No, 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 no. I think oh. it, I was about to say. I, I think it's fucking Hey Arnold. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering, but the guy's name is the Abdicator. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am the abdicator. Yeah, yeah. That rocks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that. Shout outs to Hey Arnold fans. Fucking hey, love yeah. Hey Arnold. I'm pretty sure I love Monkey Man. I love remember. Pigeon Man. I love Stoop Kid. Stoop Kid, yeah. Uh, my word is uh, ersatz. Uh, it's a product. I didn't know this word. Uh, uh, made or used as a substitute, typically an inferior one for something else. So. I thought that was a good scrabble. Another another Z in there. It's short. So for so just to use it in a sentence, any other literature media you consume is an ersatz version of this podcast. Yeah, that's a perfect definition. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, All right, score time. Uh, I get to go last. All right, fine. I'll go first. I don't care. Um, I'm not mad. Uh, <laughs> I and like like you know, there's so much more to talk about. We only covered the first three stories of this collection here, and um, I, uh, you know, was more or less like blown away by this collection. Uh, I was was ashamed that I had never heard of more before, and I'm thrilled that we finally got to to that I got to read these. I think it's, you know, everything we've talked about Moore's abilities with language are like on full display and constantly they just constantly had me like literally just like leaning back and being like what 
Like, yeah. where, where did that phrase come from? You know, they just come out of nowhere. These like brilliant turns of phrase, these brilliant metaphors. Um, and these stories, you know, for some probably personal reasons, like Matt alluded to earlier, just like my own kind of life, uh, peregrinations and the places that I've lived and, and they just connected with me on such a deep level. Uh, and you know, being a mid thirties person, like a lot of these characters and just being like, what the fuck just gener- <laughs> generally like all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's very relatable to me. So, um, for me, it's a 4.33 mm. and I'm thrilled to read more, Lori Moore as soon as possible. More, more. More, more. More, more, please. Give me more, more. more. Remember? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wait, what? What? You want more? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a funny thing to <laughs> reference. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking uh, about. But cool. You're talking about all you're talking about Oliver Twist, right? Oliver Twist. Yeah. Man. Okay. Oh, uh, good I, was like, I hope reference. I got it. Deep cut. Uh yeah, deep cut. Um I'm 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 pretty much right subtle uh right alongside you. I, I think that like yeah, this uh this is one of those occasions that people talk about of uh the kind of mind meld just sort of like thank you for putting it this way t- for me now to use forever like uh yeah, just a just a wave sync going on. Just really really good stuff and uh I love short stories and uh this is like such a prime example to me of like that form like the, the those little crystal bullets that just like hit you in the middle of the head yes uh uh yeah i'm gonna have to go ahead and give it a 4.17 fuck yeah nice yeah yeah i'm i'm right there with you guys i mean i fucking i really love this a lot um she just she's so good at like encapsulating the mid or like the late 20s early 30s person experience with her writing Uh, she wrote this when she was 31 um and i really want to know like what i want to read more of her for sure i want to read her uh like her novels too at least one of them um but yeah she she kind of just does everything i like in a book you know i i just i i just like every choice she made I I like the kind of gut-wrenching stories about love and relationships. Um but I I I like how she ended up being able to talk about so many broader themes in life within that storytelling style. Um and then I really I really like the accents of almost poetry segments that she had. They were just like so rereadable and um yeah, I just thought it was like overall just really brilliant and I want to read more and more. I'm going to have to give it a solid 4.56555. Dope, dude. The the rare uh two extra like thousandth place or whatever, million. <laughs> I, I think I did that with the last one too. I think I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's Paul's good. just giving the pie scores. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just go into a fugue state, you say like 39 digits, <laughs> and you're like, well, that's valid. We uh, have to honor our own. I'm just here furiously writing them all down. <laughs> yeah, like, I need to do justice to Paul's. I want you to keep down every single letter. I want, this is a 4.565579 porter. Uh, well, uh, as always, there's a lot more to say about this book, and uh, how many stories we got left? Five? Um, yeah, five more stories for us to talk about. Arguably some of the best in the, in the, in the collection, um, and we will be talking about those after the jump for patrons only. Thank you for listening, uh, everybody. We really appreciate you. Um, Patreon.com slash Spinecrackers, YouTube.com slash Spinecrackers. What else? myspace.com slash spinecrackers instagram instagram twitter all all the places you can find us and uh we hope to talk to you again soon thank you thank you so much bye thank you read read this yeah read this book read this book